Hi, I'm Nadia. You know me by now. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're quite familiar with each other. And it yeah. really is an honor, Doctor, to have, have you on board with us today. It is really with so much of knowledge sharing. And we at Zen Onco, we're really going to benefit from this. And so are so many patients out there, you know. We, are, we cannot but thank you for taking the time out for this, right? Yeah, my, my, my pleasure. And actually, I'm honored. I'm like, you, uh, you are so enthusiastic and you want something actually that the patients should know. Yes, uh, that is the intention. Yeah, yes. That is correct, correct. Right. And first, let me introduce you, doctor. So, Dr. Chandrasekhar, he is a specialist in radiation oncology. He has 28 years of overall experience. He's completed his training in the Tata Memorial Hospital. Is that right, doctor? Yeah, that is true. And uh, thing is, I mean, like uh, I have been doing uh, radiation therapy, but more of a medical oncology. So this, I have a medical oncology. Correct. 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 Yes. And uh, since uh, 96, 97, actually, I have been. Wow. In, so this is uh, about say 25 years now. You can say. That is quite a lot of experience, doctor. That really is quite a lot of experience. And uh, we have been, like, while I'm going through your work, I can see you're doing so much of social work. More or less, it's all about giving out for the unprivileged, uh, doctor. So that itself is, you're helping so many thousands of cancer patients out there tirelessly, you know, and you have had the opportunity to start your own clinic. So yeah. that itself is another major uh, upgrade for you in so many ways, Right. Yeah. And it's in Aurangabad, right? Combined yeah. so yes. much. Yeah. And so many new services that you're supposed to be giving them, right? Yeah, that is true. Well, like, uh, there is a, uh, this journey actually, you know, from Mumbai to Aurangabad, like in 96, 97, actually, uh, I was trained in Tato Hospital. Actually, I did my cancer uh, uh, specialization in Tato Hospital. And uh, thereafter, actually, I had many choices. But... And uh, I was not knowing, I mean, like, Aurangabad as such, to select Aurangabad as such was uh, not a choice or not in the least as such. But thing is, what happens, uh, what happened was, I mean, like, in this area, this area means actually the entire region of Marathwada, I suppose you uh, speak of, Aurangabad, maybe Jalna, then Bid, and then so many districts, actually. And these uh, districts actually are not very well connected to the metro cities. And uh, not each and every patient actually in that time could go to Mumbai or Pune for the treatment. So I had a thought of it and uh, my parents actually, they were from Aurangabad. So I thought, I mean, like, why not to give the best services uh, in this particular region? And this was actually way back in, 20, way back about say 25 years back, like this is in 95, 96. Now there are many hospitals, many uh, specialists are available in Aurangabad as well. But uh, somebody has to begin, enough, somebody has to begin the thing, like uh, if suppose you are uh, in a journey and you suppose, suppose you are leading the role, then maybe actually people will join you. And that was the intention. So actually I did join a hospital that is a corporate hospital. So I worked there for about say 18, 90 years, 18, 19 years. And then uh, 2015 actually I started my own hospital, own clinic, own daycare setup. This is a gateway cancer clinic setup. Yes. And uh, since about say last five to six years, I'm catering uh, to uh, medical oncology uh, specialty, and uh, that too uh, on a daycare basis. So this is this is basically a brief introduction about myself. Wow, really, doctor, this journey has been such a like it's it's going on so much for you that you strongly believe in this cause. That is what I can see. You yeah. strongly believe in it, and you're going forth with it. You're not. 
taking no for an answer and every obstacle in your way. I'm sure you would have had so many obstacles in your way. Yeah, many, many, yes, many. So you have fought all of that because of the only fact that you strongly believe in this, and that itself is kudos to you, doctor. Like it's very inspiring. Me, at least, when I went through your profile, I saw how much you have been trying to do with so many patients, and most of them were of the unprivileged. So that itself yeah. is a very inspiring thing for me. Okay, so shall we just go into the Q and A? Yeah, yeah, please. All right. And most importantly, I the first question, because of all the social work that you're doing, my first question to you is, what is this that basically inspired you to go on this course? Like, what is your main inspiration? Uh, yeah, I mean, like, if suppose you're asking me uh, why actually I chose a career in cancer. Yeah. I, yeah. See, uh, I mean, like, uh, you need to think 25 years or 30 years back when actually I was uh, in this field. So uh, previously, actually, doctors as well as patients, everybody used to think that if suppose a person uh, is uh, diagnosed to have a cancer, mm -hmm. then I mean, pain, some sort of treatment, which may be actually in the form of some sort of radiation, or some sort of uh, chemotherapy, chemotherapy or some sort of surgery, and then ultimately the patient is going to die. So this was actually the overall scenario as far as the cancer uh, treatment or cancer patient actually was concerned. And this was way back in 20, uh, about 1996, 97, 90s. People used to think that, yeah, I'm like the patient has been diagnosed to have cancer, is taking some treatment, but ultimately he's going to die. And at that time, actually, uh, the top selling branches were maybe cardiology, maybe neurology, maybe nephrology, they were top selling branches, but many doctors also. Uh, we're not, uh, you know, inclined to go in the cancer specialty. Because, because of this, because of this stigma, rather, uh, social stigma, and uh, maybe you can say um, uh, everybody, patients and the doctors, everybody was thinking the same way. So if suppose you want to change the thing, then you need to have a scientific knowledge of it. That is the first requirement. Even if actually we are doctors, I mean, like we need to have a very scientific knowledge of how to cater a cancer patient in a scientific way. So if suppose you have a scientific knowledge of it, then maybe actually you can advise this patient in a scientific way that this is a situation, this is a scenario, and this is the statistics. If suppose you treat, take this treatment properly, then only actually you are going to be all right. And uh, there are certain uh, cancers, I mean like oral cancers, which uh, the males, they would generally have throat cancer or maybe tongue cancers. If suppose they are being treated correctly, scientifically, many of them actually will get cured. So this is a scenario, and this was a scenario long back as well. I mean, like at that time, radiation actually was uh, like the cobalt generated uh, generated radiation actually was the treatment of choice. Now there are accelerators. I mean, like there are different machines available for treatment of uh, cancer patient as far as radiation is concerned. But at that time, actually, only cobalt radiation actually was the standard treatment. But still. Patients used to get cured of it. So the confidence, the doctor actually needs to give confidence to the patient that, yeah, if, even if you are a uh, cancer patient, definitely you are going to be all right. Do not, do not worry about it. You cannot assure 100% uh, you know, um, uh, like outcome, but maybe actually you can say that if suppose 100 patients were uh, treating, maybe around say 50, 60, 70% of the patients would get cured of it. And that is what actually is needed from a doctor. And this inspired me actually, why I should go in the uh, field and this career. 
because there are there are people there are cancer patients but if suppose you give them uh, a proper counseling many yeah. as well actually do not have time to give to talk to the patients talking to patients talking to relatives is important explaining them the whether the problem the gravity of it the treatment outcomes the expenses everything then actually they will have confidence and then they will at least be ready for the treatment Right. Right. Yeah, there are yeah, there are NGOs. I mean, like since you are also in an NGO, there are certain NGOs who actually are trying very hard to help the patients. But to reach to those uh, the patients, I mean, like you need to go through doctors. I mean, like if the doctors is they are counseling the patient properly at first hand, and if the patients are ready. to take treatment then maybe actually you can definitely help the patient to get medicines or to uh, help them in uh, you know getting connected with a doctor or a hospital like this i could not agree with you more doctor but you, like you have correctly so rightly put for uh, scientific knowledge is where it starts it starts with that scientific knowledge but as far as i can see uh, you are a personality with the scientific knowledge as well as an empath your empathy is also what makes you reach out to the people in a certain way so that is that is something that makes you stand out from the rest of everybody else who is in this field as well so that way it's a combination of both i feel yeah that is true so that empathy is where you're reaching out to the people and applying your scientific knowledge to the best of your ability correct yeah true very true so and that is one thing that you know although you know a lot of us are working like you and me towards this genuine cause in a genuine manner there are so many fraudsters also in the middle of it trying to make the most out of the patient what are your comments on that doctor like about say it again i'm saying like we are we are working for a genuine cause here we yeah. know what the situation is we know the reality of it we know the scientific things behind it at the same time there are people who are fraudsters in the middle of it trying to make money out of the patient's desperate situation yeah yeah what are your comments on that see basically i mean like uh, how do we how do we sorry sorry how do we avoid them how do we keep away from them how do we know yeah. someone is of genuine cause and someone who is trying to make money out of this? yeah see basically uh, this happens in uh, every field for that matter no i mean like uh, uh, if suppose uh, you want to travel somewhere and if suppose you are caught uh, up with a travel agent who is not who is not right for you maybe actually you know you bank on that, uh, that particular travel agent you spend uh, whatever he is saying and when you check in a hotel then you uh, realize that this particular hotel actually is not of that category or not not of that star a category which already actually get shown you so this happens in every field i mean like see basically what i would uh, like request is the patients need to be slightly smart by what are they at least but yeah, this cannot be true for all patients i mean like we have a rural population which is actually more than 50 exactly exactly i was coming to that right yeah. their awareness is very less they do not know what to do and i mean like where to go so best thing is i mean like if suppose they have any confusion in their mind better is that they walk in a medical college basically you know a rural hospital or a primary health center is present in a village also so in a village if suppose they are walking in a primary health center or if suppose they are from a taluka place or maybe from a district place there are district hospitals as well as there are rural health care centers Right. So they walk in these particular government setups and get to know what is happening to them. What is the diagnosis? At least, at least we can we believe 
that if suppose they are walking in a government medical college or a government hospital or a rural healthcare setup, they will not be cheated. At least they get a scientific knowledge. I mean, like whatever investigations are needed, these investigations actually uh, would be done at a very subsidized state. Firstly, the biopsy or the primary diagnosis of a cancer maybe can be done at that place itself. And if suppose the patient feels okay, reasonably all right, uh, well convinced, maybe he can continue the treatment there itself. But if the patient is not convinced at that point, maybe then they, they can take uh, different opinions. Right, doctor. Like you said it so correctly. I mean, there's a procedure in which you have yeah. actually put this down. I mean, the answer that you just answered to me. But the main thing is, again, the major population is rural and the only thing that they know is their desperation, right? A loved one is in this situation. So they are not looking, they will just close their eyes and believe anything that's coming to them. They are in such a situation. So yeah, going to a medical college and working from a medical college is definitely the way to go for them, right? And doctor, what is what are the other NGOs you work with, and how do they work for you? Like, how how is they how have they been helping you on this journey? And there are many NGOs. I mean, like uh, I must appreciate uh, your Zinomko also. I mean, like the NGO which you are working with. Uh, there are so many NGOs, and I actually have been associated with Renuka Medical Foundation. This NGO actually. Uh, was initiated by me and my other fellow colleagues and these colleagues actually they are from medical field as well as from other fields and we actually came together and we were thinking of it i mean like see if suppose the patients of maybe if the patient is having a malignancy or if the patient is having some other uh, medical problems and if suppose the patient is not able to spend on that particular uh, medical problems to get cured of it so how we can help them and uh, everybody uh, was uh, of the opinion that firstly they should get a correct opinion, uh, correct expert advice. So in this particular Renuka Medical Foundation, we have different specialists from different specialties. I mean, like one, uh, a few of them are lawyers, few of them are engineers, few of them are doctors from other specialties as well. So what we can do is we can any, any problem is any problem coming to, coming to us, we would analyze that particular problem give that um, patient or uh, subject a proper opinion like what is a problem and this is a solution of it, of it and then maybe we can guide them through finances or through a correct uh, situation so this is actually what we are working like and this uh, foundation actually Reduca Medical Foundation was established in 2007 so this is almost about say 13 years now and uh, we have helped a lot of patients around say uh, maybe we can say one lakh twenty thousand or twenty five thousand um, uh, patients already actually have been uh, helped, and in various ways, uh, referring this patient to a correct doctor, getting this patients uh, help with some medicines or chemotherapy drugs, getting this treatment done at a very subsidized rate. So there are various uh, various ways uh, to help uh, uh, to NGO to these patients. So this is actually what we are. Um, following. Not only finances, I mean like each and every patient may not require only finances because you know what we can what we understand is if, if, if it is an NGO and if the patient requires some help, this patient is going to have they require only money or the finances, that is not the condition. Many of the patients, many of the families, they would need only counseling okay. and what is the problem. So that, that, that thing actually we can do it at our end or there are other counsellors also, and like there are people who are ready to work with us. Like we, yeah, just, we, we need to just find them, right, a person for the right place. 
So that is what I can perfect. do. Yeah. Perfect, 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 doctor. All right. So coming to breast cancer in females, um, the major causes, the stigmas attached to it are vast. What are your comments, doctor? Yeah, basically, uh, in females, yes, as you rightly said, like uh, if we divide cancers, uh, no, you will be surprised to know that around say 1,300 patients, 1,300 to 1,400 patients, they die every day of malignancy. And if we calculate it cumulative, this comes to around say 5 lakh per year. So maybe you can just imagine. I mean, like now uh, we are in a we are in a uh, you know pandemic situation where the coronavirus actually has exactly. really shattered the lives of many. But the, this particular problem, cancer or maybe roadside accidents, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, like 600 to 800 deaths they happen in roadside accidents, roadside accidents or road accidents, maybe you can say. And around say 1,500 patients they die every day because of the cancer. So you can just understand how big is the burden of cancer and how serious is this issue. And looking at and, and coming to the point, I mean, like in the females, uh, the the list toppers actually you can say are breast malignancy, cervical malignancy that is the cancer of uterus, and then maybe you can say ovarian malignancy. So these three malignancies are very common in females. And to talk to that, breast cancer definitely actually is increasing day by day. And uh, if you compare rural population versus urban population, now the thing is, uh, every like one female in every 22 females, if suppose like you are randomly you are, uh, selecting a sample, one female in every 22 female, she is actually diagnosed to have breast malignancy. This is what actually is a burden right now in urban population. And in rural population, it is one in 30 to 38 females. So in urban uh, rural population, the percentage actually is slightly on the lower side as compared to the urban population. And as we know, uh, the the causes. If suppose you ask me why actually in urban females the percentage just is just going to yeah. And this everybody knows because of our lifestyles. I mean, like everybody is busy now. No, now actually it's all like work from home. Actually, is becoming uh, this thing. Uh, uh, right. it's a trend now. It's a trend now, but uh, everybody in IT phase, I mean, like the uh, male, uh, the male person, the male population and female population are so busy, they do not have time. I mean, like for themselves, for their kids, and because of that, uh, the urbanization actually has uh, increased the incidence of cancer. We can say urbanization, then addiction. I mean, like you'll be surprised to know that now the tobacco consumption is more in females as well. I mean, like uh, consumption of tobacco, consumption of alcohol is day by day increasing. And there are many reasons for that. And because of that, maybe the uh, maybe urbanization, more socializing, then more addiction in females, in uh, urban population, the incidence of cancer is also going high. And this is why issues, uh, breast cancer incidence is uh, high in urban population. So this is the reason, basically. Um, so the causes, this finally happens, how we take care of it post, post the surgery. I mean, it's all a journey. Once you get the breast cancer was when you know, realize how society stigmatizes you as well. What would your comments be on that? 
Yeah, I mean, like, see, now, yeah, the, the, the thing that happens is, I mean, like, if the patient has been diagnosed with cancer or if the patient actually comes to us with the relatives, what happens is the patient is sitting outside OPD and the relative walks in. And the relative would tell us that uh, the patient doesn't know about the diagnosis. So we would request you that uh, do not disclose anything in front of the patient. Correct. So, yeah, the my, like, the, my point is, I mean, like, patients, they are, well, they, they, they are adults. I mean, like, they have a right to know about the, themselves and, like, what is happening to them, what is their diagnosis, what is the outcome of it. So, my request to all the, you know, viewers is, I mean, like, they should not hide this thing from patients. I mean, like, they should discuss everything with the patient, but only thing is, I mean, like, they should counsel them properly. Right. Perfect. इम्यूनोथेरापी And See, if, uh, if suppose we look at the standard treatment of cancer, I mean, like if the patient has been diagnosed with the cancer, then uh, there are uh, broad specialties. I mean, radiation, chemotherapy, and surgery. So these are three specialties uh, with which the patient will be treated. Many of the yes. cancers. I mean, like the if suppose we think about cancers in males, then uh, about say 70-80 percent of the cancers actually they are from oral cavity. That means buccal mucosa. Tongue, then throat, then lungs, and esophagus. These are the major regions where the uh, male cancers they happen. And in females, as we discussed, the cancers actually of breast, ovary, and uh, uterus actually are very common, major, majorly. So uh, these are the uh, basically uh, the regions where the uh, cancer happens in males and females. So if the can- cancer has been diagnosed, there are three ways to treat the cancer: the surgery, radiation, and chemotherapy. most of the patients actually would be uh, cured if suppose like they are treated properly about say 50 60% of the population can say and many of them now actually there are that the, the research happens continuously this because the cancer fields in every field actually the research happens and now with the advent advent of research we have uh, known that we, we we know that i mean like there are certain mutations happening at the genetic uh, areas I mean, like there, there are genetic abnormalities or molecular changes or cell level changes which actually cause cancers, and because of that, some other treatments are added to radiation, chemotherapy, and surgery. So what you rightly said, immunotherapy actually has been added of late. Mm. Uh, immunotherapy actually, the principle of immunotherapy is the immunogenic cells, the cells actually which protect, which protect us from getting any infection. any uh, viral infection bacterial infection or any mutation in particular cell these immunogens or immunogenic uh, immunogenic cells they are triggered i mean like if suppose we are using immunotherapy we are boosting that particular cells to grow more and because of that if suppose the immunotherapy is been used the body actually becomes immune to that particular cell or that particular infection So how is it different from targeted therapy so how is it yeah, yeah targeted therapy i mean like uh, is if suppose uh, say for example a lung cancer previously what what used to happen if the patient is having a lung cancer then that patient used to go for a surgery 
then surgery, I mean, like everything, what was visible was removed, and radiation or chemotherapy, that was systemic injectable chemotherapy used to get, and the patient used to get uh, systemic treatment. Now what is happening in lung cancer is, uh, we are actually looking at the mutations. What are the mutations at the, general, at the cell level? And if suppose, uh, like for example, EGFR, ALK, and ROS, these are the mutations which actually we check for lung cancer. And if these mutations are present in a patient, then we have oral molecules, which are called as targeted molecules, as you said. So targeted means what happens is, these particular molecules or these agents would act on that particular cells at the targets. And then they will rectify or correct that particular defect at a cellular level. All right. Yeah, and thus the treatment happens at a very uh, uh, ground level or maybe a root cause level and then the patient uh, gets cured. So this is what is targeted treatment. So targeted treatment actually is a part of chemotherapy. Chemotherapy acts on all cells and because of that maybe actually chemotherapy patients would have hair loss, they would have some nausea, vomiting, side effects like that. Yeah. But targeted therapy actually would act only on targets. Hmm. Yeah. Only on the targeted place of yeah, the cancer. So they have relatively low side effects, we can see. And what about genetic counseling also, sir? Genetic uh, cancers, uh, yeah, I suppose like you say, uh, take an example of breast cancer. Around say 30% of breast cancers happening in females, they are genetic or they are hereditary, we can say. And how we know it? Because uh, now actually there are certain uh, genetic markers available, uh, BRCA1 mutation, uh, we can say. So this BRCA1 mutation, if suppose it is present in a female a patient, or the, the patient is having a breast cancer, mm -hmm. uh, if suppose they harbor this particular mutation, a BRCA1 and a BRCA2 mutation, then there are chances that uh, the sister of that patient or daughter of that patient can become a carrier of that and they have higher chance of getting a breast cancer. So okay. this is basically a genetic trait or genetic uh, trend, we can say, as far as the breast cancer is concerned. And uh, what we do is, uh, so each and every patient of breast cancer is being screened for these mutations, BRCA1 and BRCA2. And if suppose these mutations are detected in that particular uh, subject, then we advise the patients that your daughter or sisters also needs to be screened for these particular mutations. Okay. And, if, and if they are also positive, then we label them or group them in a high-risk category group, high-risk category, and then screen them accordingly. Early screening, I mean like mammography or maybe clinical examination, self-risk examination, we educate the patient accordingly so that we can you know, uh, keep a close watch on this particular high-risk category group. So this is, a, yeah, this is a genetic cancer category. Yeah. So my point is, is it advisable to take, just because you have someone in your family who of the same genes has cancer, is it advisable for all the people to just go and get tested and, you know? No, 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 no. It is not is advisable. It? No, no, it is not advisable. Because firstly, these tests are very costly. Firstly. Ah, exactly. That is my point, yeah. And so it's very... Uh -huh. Secondly, uh, not all cancers are genetic. Right, right. What happens is, if in, in male population, if suppose somebody is a smoker, if suppose somebody is a smoker... I was coming to that, I was coming to that. Yeah, and a, a smoker, because of smoking, maybe suppose he gets a lung cancer and uh, he's been treated of the lung cancer. So what happens is, the, the entire family 
actually uh, is under stress and they go to doctors and they, they, they ask like we want to get a genetic testing done because we do not want to take risk and what test actually we should do. But these cancers, they are tobacco-related cancers. I mean, like, they are not genetic cancers, they are uh, tobacco-related cancers. So, nothing to do with uh, genetic things. Many, uh, only 30% of the cases of the cancer, roughly, are genetic. So, that is what is not advisable, right? No, no, no. Genetic testing for every cancer or every patient is not advisable. Right. So, I also, talking about tobacco, like, this is one of the major reasons as to why head and neck cancers happen. We all know this. Yeah. rising trend. Right. Yes. Yeah. What, what is the major major cause for that, doctor? Like, what exactly is why is it, of all the years of mild cancer is persistent? Why is it at this rate? It is just increasing. See, uh, the trend of smoking, basically consumption of tobacco, consumption of tobacco actually is in various forms. Uh, the first form actually is smoking, as we know. Smoking cigarettes, smoking BD, smoking hookah, everything actually is at the same risk. There is no difference. Uh, I mean, like if uh, a younger population or younger generation, we see a lot of uh, young girls and boys actually, they uh, they are engaged in hookahs. So hookahs and uh, this thing, uh, smoking is not at all safe. And any problem... You mean, you mean cigars or ganja or... Like, yeah, all forms. Cigars, ganja, bidi, hookah, chilim. I mean, like, all the same. Only thing is, I mean, like, in a different format, you can inhale in or uh, taking nicotine inside your body. Yeah. And uh, smoke contains carbon monoxide. I mean, like, the gas which has been expelled from vehicles. So you can just imagine, I mean, like, how toxic this would have been. Carbon monoxide, tar, then these are the, I mean, like, uh, carcinogens. And the, these carcinogens, I mean, like, about, say, 100 carcinogens, they uh, are existing in nicotine, in uh, smoke, uh, cigarette smoke or anything. Nicotine, actually, is what we keep on discussing. And because of that, actually, we know that smoke, that smoking, actually, is a nicotine. Uh, smoking, cigarette, actually, is nicotine. But nicotine is one carcinogen. There are about 100 other carcinogens which are present in uh, cigarette and beauty and uh, this thing smoke and because of that actually not only i mean like the the common notion is i mean like if the patient is having a patient is smoking or anybody is smoking then uh, he will have lung cancer or something but cancer is one uh, aspect the, the, the subjects if suppose they are not having cancer then they can have other things also like allergies bronchitis then the recurrent infections um, uh, tuberculosis, these are common things. I mean, like, not only... Generally, that, weak lungs. Yeah weak, lungs. Weak, yeah, weak lungs. And because of that, many things. I mean, like, uh, cancer, not only cancer, other things also, other uh, elements also. Right. And that that's what we don't understand. Like, mostly, it's not in males only. These days, it's increasing in females also. Correct. So Correct. that is why the rising trend. Yeah. Uh, later, I, I mean... A few years back, maybe it would have been just in males, and we are understanding lung cancer in males only. Yeah. Right now, the population has increased with more females also included in this category, right? True, true, true. Right. Okay. And see, but, basically, and what I would, I, I want to raise a point here is, I mean, like cancer, yeah, definitely, because tobacco is a preventable cause. So I keep on telling everybody, because if the subject is 
refraining from tobacco for a longer time, the risk of getting cancer is reduced tremendously over the period. So my request is, if we can, we could educate them. I mean, like we we keep on telling everybody. I mean, like the basic purpose of these meetings, what we are talking today, is if suppose hundred uh, patients or hundred uh, viewers actually are looking at our meetings and understanding how bad is the smoking, and one of them quits smoking, this is our achievement. Wow. Yeah. That really is a big thing. Because it is dangerous. Smoking or any form of tobacco consumption is dangerous. And this is completely a curable cause. Uh, this can this can cure you from getting cancer. This is one thing. By just staying away from it. Correct. By just staying away from it. Yeah. Now actually, you know, uh, you, must, uh, you must have heard or maybe actually we know by now that uh, in vitro fertilization, IVF synthesis yeah. are yeah. going, 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 like uh, going day by day and they're like, I mean, like what is happening, we don't know. The problem why IVF centers are uh, increasing is that the rate of infertility is more now in males as well as in females. And this directly is linked with smoking and alcohol. But there are many things, I and mean, like alcohol and smoking actually is doing um, so many wrong things. Like we know only about cancer, but there are so many wrong things. There are too many. The list is too long. Yeah, yeah. The list is too long. But my the irony of the situation is, doctor, there are people who have cancer who have not even smoked. Like what is the, what is the irony there? A person who is smoking, maybe a chain smoker for so many years. Does not land up with cancer, and a person who has no history or no relation with smoking lands up with lung cancer. But can you? What are your thoughts on that? Like, basically, uh, as we discussed, uh, smoking or tobacco. I mean, like any form of nicotine consumption is a factor which is going to cause lung cancer that we know. But there are other factors as well. There are genetic abnormalities. At the cell level, there are certain changes which they happen. Or there are some hereditary um, um, issues, actually hereditary uh, mismatch, mismatches or maybe abnormalities at the cell levels. Uh, they, they are revealed later at the stage of life. Right. The abnormalities or the changes, they are existing in your body. But at certain age, at the fourth decade or fifth decade or sixth decade, actually they, they get revealed. And because of that, actually the person who is even a non-smoker, maybe he would have a lung cancer or oral cancer or esophageal cancer. So these are different things. I mean, like this is going to do with a hereditary linkage or a genetic linkage, as we discussed. Right. So there is a hereditary linkage that we had just spoken about. There is, a, even if it comes to lung cancer, right? Yes, yes. Okay, I understand, I understand. Doctor, coming to radiation oncology, because that is your spe specialization. Um, any rare case or challenging situation in your so many years of experience that you have come about with? Would you like to share with us? Yeah, many, many. <laughs> many. Please do. Please do. I would love yeah. to hear. But, uh, From that laugh itself, I can understand. There are, <laughs> there are really I mean, like, um, many situations where actually we also uh, are in a very difficult situation, patients as well as doctors. But I just share with you one very interesting uh, story of a girl. I mean, like, uh, she was a girl of uh, what I remember is around, say, eight to nine years age. 
nine years you can say and she came to my opd with her uh, grandmother and the grandmother actually uh, like tells me that um, this uh, she is not she is not able to open the mouth and uh, i don't know what has happened and uh, i said i'll like, just have a look at her and uh, i was trying to examine the oral cavity of the girl who is 9 years old and you will be surprised to know that the oral cavity opening was one finger yeah, what we can assess is because basically we calculate this according to fingers yes yeah the normally actually this is three fingers or two fingers opening is supposed to be normal so she had a one finger opening she was not able to open the mouth correctly uh, so i mean like i was really surprised because 9 years old girl how can i ask her whether you are consuming tobacco whether you are consuming pan whether you are chewing something some tobacco hard i cannot ask her i mean like 9 years old girl she did she doesn't know also i mean like what are things are so i was really surprised when i like what to do and what to ask her what history i should ask and what i should tell her right so i was keeping on like i i gave her enough time and i was just discussing with the grand uh, mother i mean like what uh, what are uh, her, have you given her some medicines to her or has she taken some uh, acidic uh, contents because of that there is fibrosis and she is not able to open the mouth what has happened so finally finally actually she was open the grandmother she uh, uh, told me that i have a habit of betel uh, nut chewing i'm like pan chewing and uh, i'm like she is very close to me and uh, uh, my granddaughter is very close to me and whenever i feel i open the betel nut and uh, my things then uh, she also I'm like keeps on telling me that i also want to have something so what i do is i give her a betel nut along with that actually i put some lime on it i do not give any uh, this thing uh, betel nut or something a leaf a betel leaf a pan a betel leaf with some lime chuna what we can we we chuna so that actually i apply it to it and then i give it to her i said that is the cause i mean the lime itself is the cause and because of that she is having restricted uh, mouth opening and finally actually we convince her do not please do not give her uh, these things this can lead to pre malignant condition ultimately actually she land up in cancer it suppose like it's been not treated or not been looked at properly so very interesting cases very interesting cases are uh, n number of cases but i mean like this is how actually then then we kept this uh, uh, girl on follow up and ultimately actually after 6 months then the mouth opening was slightly better and then then she recovered well out, out of it and uh, now actually very interesting yeah <laughs> how would uh, how the grandmother would not have known right yeah, she was very important and like whatever she was doing she was not knowing and what she is doing so that was the thing she is just easily giving the child and the child is also taking it <laughs> yes, yes yes and not only that like it is more of um, how do i put this um, when we talk about lifestyle and we always look up to our what our elders do and uh, try to go about with that so yeah and dr one was challenging one that was a, a a rare case that was very challenging for you to get through i would like to know about that as well this is a very rare case that you know you would never find out the reason behind it finally when the grandmother was open about it right yes 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 some other case where you found it that was very challenging for you as a radio radiation oncologist yeah i'm like there are certain situations i'm like very uh, rare form of uh, tumors 
I mean, like one tumor actually was at the skull, uh, skull bone, and uh, that tumor actually was a special glioblastoma. This is a very big, uh, this thing diagnosed with uh, this thing out, out of it. And uh, then we were not knowing, so we discussed uh, with a lot of uh, my seniors at that time, about say 15, 20 years back. And then finally, actually, we offered uh, local radiation to that patient, and the patient actually was well. And uh, ultimately, uh, the patient actually kept on coming for uh, follow. Uh, one more uh, uh, appreciation, maybe you can say, uh, about say 10, 15 years back, I had treated a girl. I mean, like she was uh, around say 12 to 15 years at that time. And uh, later on, actually, she was cured. She was a case of leukemia, and uh, she was uh, treated for about say six to seven months, and then she was on follow-up maintenance treatment. And ultimately, actually, uh, she was advised to follow up, uh, okay. maybe one year early or three year early. And uh, then about say five years or six years back, yeah. a, couple, a couple actually walked in my clinic. Mm -hmm. And uh, she asked me, doctor, uh, have you uh, recognized me? I'm like, I said, I don't know, but yeah, I was your patient. I've been treated. I said, okay, what is the problem? So she said, I mean, like, now I'm getting uh, engaged. He is my fiancé. I'm, like, uh, getting married to this uh, person now. I have to, uh, told him everything. He's also okay with it. And uh, will, we have, will, will there be any problem? If suppose, like, we go uh, together and then we have a child. I said, there should not be a problem. I, it was really, uh, I was happy to see you here after so, so many years, 10 years, I mean, like. And, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, like, this, is, this was the appreciation. So she had come with uh, her in-laws as well as father, mother, everything. I mean, like whole family was there, and there was no good thing. I mean, like a patient who has been cured and then been follow up, been on follow up for so long, and starting a family. I mean, like that is a good thing. What what else actually you want? Uh, as a doctor, that is what you're working for. I feel yeah, true, true. these results, these moments are what you're working for. Yeah, true. Anyway, doctor, what about palliative care? I would like to know your ideas and thoughts about that as well. Any comments? Palliative care actually is really a very important part of uh, cancer treatment. You know, about say uh, 30 to 40 percent of the patients in their uh, uh, entire uh, treatment portfolio would require palliative treatment at some point or point or the other. And uh, the best part is now actually a palliative team approach has been uh, designed. Like there, there are palliative care specialists. But uh, the important aspect is, I mean, like these patients, many of the patients would be in pain and agony. And these patients actually are going to require uh, certain analgesics, certain cell blocks, or maybe you can say nerve blocks. So palliative care basically is a team approach. Palliative care means, I mean, like a radiation oncology, medical oncology, surgical oncology, anesthesiologist, anesthetist, a very good counselor. And basically a nurse, a palliative care nurse. So this is a team approach. And if a team, team cannot be formed, because you know at rural places or a place like at Aurangabad or maybe at a village area where uh, every specialist may not be available. Hmm. Whoever is available needs to understand the importance of palliative care. Palliative care is not only giving morphine to the patient. Huh. Morphine actually yes. is a drug. Yeah, morphine is a drug. Not like uh, many doctors also they think that giving prescribing morphine is a palliative care. That is not a part of it. I mean, like uh, you need to understand the uh, needs of the patient. You need to uh, counsel this patient properly. 
So psychologically, uh, physiologically, I mean pathologically, the, the disease part of it, then uh, the agony part of it, your morphine actually definitely, then the yoga, yoga and the uh, you know spiritual aspect of it, and then financially, all of them definitely. So these are the different aspects of palliative care. So palliative care is a different specialty altogether. Yes. But yeah, I mean, like we need to understand, educate ourselves, and then rooted with cancer as well, because yes. to, yeah, and not only that, I feel it's it's a call out to all the caregivers. Hello. Can you hear me, doctor? Uh, yeah, I'm able to hear you. Yeah. Yeah. So what I was all out to all the caregivers, actually. Yes. 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 And what would you? What would your advice be to the caregivers and parents? I mean, like, uh, the caregivers, uh, they they need to you know uh, understand the problems of a patient. Like even if a cancer patient, they need to understand what he needs, what the patient needs, what he or. Yes. The counseling actually is a very important part. I mean, like many of the times, what happens is if a doctor is busy in uh, treating patients, I mean, like in government hospitals, this happens because you know there are 45, 50 patients waiting in line. So doctors actually cannot give uh, certain times, uh, certain time to uh, every patient. So caregiver actually needs to have a good counseling ability. Firstly, this is very important. You need to understand the problem of a patient. If you are a good counselor, then only actually you can give, uh, you can really be able to give good care to uh, patients. So what I would request is, I mean, like each and every caregiver needs to have basic knowledge of counseling. This is very important. If suppose it is possible, you can work with a, a doctor, uh, I mean, a, a medical uh, an oncologist, so that you will understand how he treats the patient, what are the basic things actually, what he is following. So, caregiver actually should be a good counselor. Caregiver should have basic knowledge about medical thing or oncology, this uh, thing management. And uh, thing is, I mean, if it is possible, maybe um, uh, he can uh, do such certain course, maybe a short course in palliative care and. Uh, uh, assisting, assistant oncology course or something, nursing, nursing uh, assistant or something like that. What is it that's lacking in our country for palliative care? Uh, yeah, I mean, like, uh, things are really improving these days. I mean, like, yeah. uh, actually, we are really improving, and many of uh, the hospitals where the oncology setups are uh, working, they have a palliative care setup as well. Many of the setups, many of the uh, areas. And uh, this is a very uh, emerging branch, I would say. And I, I don't uh, see, I mean, like there is certain things which India or our country is not having, which other uh, countries they have. There's nothing like that. In European and America, European countries as well as America, the palliative care specialists are available. But here also actually the specialty is now taking, uh, I mean, like growing up rather. Yeah. Yes, yes, you're right. You're very right. <laughs> anyway, so my final question to you, how do we be cancer aware? and keep ourselves aware of it at all times, being in the best type of lifestyle, taking a very healthy take at it, and you know, being able to manage side effects of chemo and radiation if we finally land up with cancer. Yeah, side effects, uh, side effects of cancer actually nowadays actually are uh, reducing uh, in, in large amounts because previously actually you know patients who, who used to undergo radiation they used to have uh, skin changes and then ulcers and so many uh, bad patches of 
this thing. But now, actually, with availability of IMRT, with availability of the better equipments, now things are changing. So, uh, side effects of radiation, side effects of chemotherapy, they are reducing in, uh, tremendously. Like, hardly actually we see um, uh, dreaded or maybe you can say untoward side effects very uh, devastating side effects of radiation. Technology and medicine is getting better. Yeah, better and better. And I think it's like lifestyle changes. I mean, like how we can prevent cancer. Yeah, like, a healthy lifestyle. A healthy lifestyle. And a more aware cancer Correct. personality. A person who's aware of the situation and doing things accordingly, keeping in mind that awareness. Yeah. My, um, uh, like, last um, uh, take-home message, you can say, will be, I mean, like, if uh, we are having a good nutrition, if you concentrate on nutrition, if your nutrition or intake is good, if you do exercise properly, yes, uh, if you do exercise properly, and if you uh, abstain from any addiction, any sort of addiction, uh, maybe, I mean, like, tobacco, alcohol, or any uh, sort of gutka or something, so, sugar, like people are addicted to sugar. Yeah. So these are this is basically uh, my uh, take home uh, for today's uh, webinar will be uh, your uh, lifestyle should be healthy. I mean, like eat properly, eat a nutritious food, exercise regularly, and um, you know uh, refrain from any of the addiction. If suppose you are following these uh, uh, three uh, things, then probably actually you will not have. Um, chances of getting cancer for that matter, any other element also, no diabetes or hypertension or anything like that. So this is uh, basic, basically a take-home message for uh, today's webinar from my side. Thank you so much, Dr. Chandrasekhar. It's been such a nice, I mean, it's such an overwhelming talk for me right now because you have taken the time out from your busy schedule to come up and be so patient with us and your enthusiasm is it's contagious. Look at me. <laughs> thank, you, thank you very much. I'm pleased to be here. And definitely in the future also, actually, I would like to be a part of it because, you know, spreading knowledge and a scientific knowledge is our responsibility. And this is my responsibility as a doctor. I mean, like, anytime you can reach out Perfect. to me, I'm available. Perfect. I love that. I love that. It, it okay. puts, puts everybody in such a good... I mean, there is hope, always. With yes. people like you, there is always hope. Yeah. yeah, it's such Thank an insightful you. discussion, sir. And right now we'll have to close. Your guidance and your understanding of it has really, really helped millions out there, I'm sure. Right? Yeah. Thank, Thank you so much for your time. Please stay in touch. And Welcome. Thanks. Thank you. Be safe. Thank you, Thank sir. Thank you. Bye.